Well, indeed, good morning. And uh, grateful to all you early risers. I wasn't quite sure if we have a handful of people. we got a handful and more here this morning for the 9 o'clock. So thanks for making the Daylight Savings Time adjustment and being part of Course Church uh, first service. Today's going to be a great day. I'm going to share about that in a second. But uh, we had a great evening here um, last Friday, actually last Sunday. I just really enjoyed last Sunday and just being able to commemorate 10 years uh, anniversary for us as a church and the run that we were on and having Dave and Elena here. It was just a good Sunday last week, wasn't it? And uh, so we come back and now we chart the course for the second 10 years. And to do that, we uh, talked about rebranding our church on Friday night. And if you were not here and you did not get an email, I would like to formally let you know that we are going to change the name of the church to the Awakening Church and uh, that will happen on April 6th. Can I hear a good affirmation there? Yeah. All right. Now, for those of you that weren't here Friday or maybe didn't get an email from me, I have a piece of paper that you need to pick up on the way back, on your way out this morning, that sort of gives some explanation as to how we ended up landing with the Awakening Church. And of uh, key importance is the tagline, Fully Alive in Christ and to His Mission. And hopefully that resonates a little bit with what we've been talking about for the last couple, three months. But I won't go into that anymore, but just let you know that's on the way. There's a lot of changes behind the scene that need to happen for us to move to that name on April the 6th. So thanks for your prayers and ongoing prayers in that regard. One of the main um, points of conviction that I had from early years on, uh, growing up in church, and my parents always had me in a very not only godly, Bible-oriented church, but they had me in a missions-oriented church from the get-go. I was a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. My parents started. Sometimes I say I was born in the basement of the Wabash Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Indiana because uh, we were there all the time. And um, just so grateful with a heart that was built over the years, not only to serve Jesus locally, but to be involved in what Jesus is doing globally. And so we are at a very special day today, even if you're new coming in, thanks for coming and checking us out and being a part of this day. But uh, we are going to be talking about not only what God's called us to do uh, here locally, which we've been talking about, we are now going to expand that to talk about his heart for us to be involved in his work globally. So we've been talking about missional living, and missional living is not only being on mission here, but it's being on mission there. And so I want to invite you to sort of strap yourself in. You ever go on one of those crazy kinds of uh, roller coaster rides, right, and you buckle yourself in? There is a journey that we're going to be taking today, and we have a special um, gifted man of God and missionary and uh, denominational leader that's with us this morning. Uh, John Corby is coming to share with us uh, on this radical journey of how to have a heart for global missions and what we're involved in as part of a Christian Missionary Alliance church. There is an insert in your program. Um, that can give you sort of the lowdown on John. I'm not going to read through that. You can catch that. Um, by the way, there's also the communication card and all that in there. We'd like to have that filled out. we we'll receive that at the end of the service with the tithes and offerings for the Lord. But um, I want you to give your full attention to John as he comes. He's a missionary. He's been a missionary in Africa. He oversaw all the Christian Missionary Alliance works in uh, Europe and the Middle East. And we've had some touch through the years. He's now in a role where he comes around to inspire and encourage and equip local churches to be engaged more globally. So would you welcome John Corby today to share with us. Ziad was a young Muslim teenager living in a country in the Middle East. And... Uh, as is true with a lot of teenagers, at some point during his mid-teen years, he began to question life. He began to say, is Islam really what I'm supposed to believe? Now, that is an incredible question for a Muslim to ask, because most Muslims, you are what you are. You don't have choices. But he began to question, is this really it? Does this really matter? Is there something else? Well, growing up in the Middle East, the only other something else that he was aware of was Christianity. And he knew that there was a Jesus, but he didn't know who he was or what he represented. He just knew he was associated with Christianity. So Ziad 
as a good exploratory kind of a guy, started going to Christian churches. He first went to a Catholic church and said to the priest, can you tell me about Jesus? The Catholic priest looked at him and said, you're Muslim. I can't talk to you. Go away and shut the door. He went to an Anglican church. Can you tell me about Jesus? You're a Muslim. I can't talk to you. Go away. He went to an Orthodox church. Same thing. And he, along with some of his friends, were pretty discouraged because they were talking about this among themselves. Is there something else? In desperation, before he went away to university, Ziad went out into a field quite a distance away from his village and started gathering big white rocks and laid them out in the form of a giant cross. He says, I don't know what this means, but God, if you exist, and if you see this, would you point out to me who you are and who this Jesus is? Well, Ziad went away to school and then took a job in another city. Today, in dark regions of the world, there is religious persecution. There's political volatility, human slavery and sex trafficking, hunger, drought, disease, and greed, violence, despair, fear. In short, we could say the world is broken. Political structures can't repair it. The military forces can't rebuild it. And all the riches of the world can't restore peace that people are longing for. And on top of that, people are uncertain about life after death, and they're asking questions like Ziad. What is there? What is there? And all this is due to sin. There's a core value. There are seven core values in the Alliance. And one of them is that lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. Lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. We know that because of the fall, because of disobedience, men and women are separated from God because of sin. Paul tells the Roman church that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. The interesting thing is, today, most people don't want to talk about hell. They don't want to talk about being eternally lost. And yet scripture points out very clearly that that's the case because of sin. It's, it's sad because they're all around us. They're here in Murrieta. They're here in the Temecula Valley. They're here in California, the United States, and around the world. People are lost because they're separated from God because of sin. And yet the Bible also tells us that there's good news. And that good news is found in probably the most well-known verse in all of Scripture, and that's John 3.16, that you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to provide a way back to the Father. In fact, Jesus clearly states that I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Does that sound exclusivistic to you? Yeah, it is. But it is the way that God has provided to come back to Him. We just sang about, oh, happy day, my sins are washed away. Why? Because of Jesus. We rejoice in that. We jump up and down. We're excited because we have a way back to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. But with that joy, with that thanksgiving, also comes some responsibility because Jesus also says that we're to go into the whole world and make disciples. And in Acts 1.8, before he ascended into heaven, he said, after you receive power, the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Our responsibility is to make disciples. Our responsibility is to be witnesses. That is, tell other people what Jesus means to us right here in Marietta, our Jerusalem, right here in the Temecula Valley, our Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
John Stumbo today, our, our president, was elected last summer, talks about the Christian and Missionary Alliance. He says the Alliance is a Christ-centered, Acts 1-8 family. That's what John's going to be talking about. The Awakening Church is Christ-centered. To me, that's pretty obvious, having only been here for a couple days. Jesus is glorified and lifted up here in our lives and in the body. You're also an Acts 1-8 oriented kind of a group. As Pastor Kerry has been painting a picture, casting a vision for what's ahead of you in terms of what you do here in Murrieta, but not just Murrieta, but the entire Temecula Valley, it's an Acts 1-8 kind of a thing too. And it's also a family. You have small groups, missional communities, as your pastor refers to them. You're part of a larger group that gathers and calls itself, or will call itself, the Awakening Church. But you're also part of a bigger family. It's called the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I'd like to take a few moments this morning just to talk to you about what that larger family is like. What is the Alliance? Motivated by God's love and a desire to see lost people come back into a relationship with Christ. For over 125 years, local Alliance churches like the Awakening have been sending Alliance missionaries. Today we call them international workers because the term missionary in many places today is a very derogatory or negative term. So we refer to our workers as international workers. For 125 plus years, we've been sending them to some of the darkest places on this planet, some of the most difficult locations. And we've been doing that so that they can take God's love, that message that will bring people back to him. Now, there's a unique thing about the Alliance. Some other organizations do it, but not too many. And that is that the Alliance plants churches. Why? Well, it's the church that lasts. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It's the church that matters. And as we've planted churches around the world for 125 years, those churches have become strong in their own right. They've become independent, internet, or independent national churches. Today, the Alliance World Fellowship is, is present in 81 countries around the world. As you look at that map, the darker gray, bluish areas are places where Alliance ministries began years ago where Alliance workers went, evangelized, discipled, planted churches, trained leaders, and over the course of time, in many places, turned those churches over to the national church. So our workers may continue to work in some of those countries, but in many places we've withdrawn because the church is strong. And as we've been able to withdraw, we go other places, other more difficult countries in the world. But these alliance, oh, the, the, the burnt orange, those are the places where there isn't much. There are few believers. We have alliance workers in all those places as well, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But for, the, for you to understand the, the, the family concept, the Awakening Church is part of the South Pacific District of the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is part of the alliance in the United States, which is part of the Alliance World Fellowship. Here in the States today, there are going to be services all across the country in 37 different languages with over 2,000 churches and roughly 500,000 worshipers who've gathered today. You're part of that family. But around the world, there are over 180 languages in use with over 20,000 churches and almost 6 million people who call themselves members of an alliance group or church. You're part of a big family. This box, a bit shaded, represents places where there is little or no gospel presence. And in these places, we have alliance workers in 30 creative access countries. We call them creative access countries because to go in as a religious worker, you can't do it. These countries are hostile to Christianity. They are opposed to it. Remember, this is a broken world. They don't want the name of Jesus Christ lifted up. They don't want people to know 
that there is a way, a truth, a life, and that's in Jesus Christ. They don't want that. This box is where we are primarily focusing on sending current workers today and in the near future. Overall, there are 781 International Alliance workers sent from the United States who serve in 62 countries around the world. And in this particular box, 82% of all Alliance workers from the U.S. serve in creative access and open countries. So 82% of all the workers sent out by the Alliance are in the most critical areas of the world today. That's important to know. It's also important to know what happens through the Alliance Worldwide Ministries every four minutes, every hour, every day. Every week, every month, every year. As you pray for Alliance workers that you know, as you give to the Great Commission Fund, as you enter into relationships and connections with fields and with people, you're participating in what happens here in Murrieta, Temecula Valley, and around the world through Alliance Ministries. Thank you for being a part of that. I encourage you to become more involved in those kinds of things. But there are two issues, I think, that face us today. Two major issues. The first issue is what I would refer to as the issue of light and dark. If these screens were bigger, you would see that there are dots of light. Each of those dots of light represent 25,000 evangelical believers. You can see some areas where there's a lot of light. That's great. We're happy for that. We rejoice. But there are a lot of dark areas. And even if you took out the deserts and the jungles and the vast tundra of Siberia, there's a lot of darkness out there. Places where the gospel is not present in a strong way at all. The second issue is the issue of access. By access, I refer to how close people are to Jesus followers. How close unbelievers, lost people are to people who can explain to them who Jesus Christ is, who can talk to them about the way, the truth, the life. They can talk about God so loving them that that he gave his son. That's what I mean by access. Here in the United States, how many people, statistically speaking, do you think you would have to talk to before you found one person who could tell you who Jesus Christ was? Oh, come on. You're awake. Three. How many? Three? Three? Ten, statistically speaking, it's about six or seven. Now, that's the entire United States. That may be higher or lower here in Southern California. I don't know. But statistically speaking, that's roughly what it is. Let's go across the Atlantic Ocean to Spain. How many folks do you think you'd have to talk to to find one person who could tell you who Jesus Christ was? One Jesus followers. Guesses? Twenty? Fifty? Twenty-five. That's what I mean by the critical nature of access to Jesus followers. And we think we have a lot to do here in America. But let's cross the Straits of Gibraltar to North Africa and take a look at Morocco. How many people do you think you'd have to talk to before you found one Moroccan who could tell you who Jesus Christ was? Oh, you're all a little gun shy now. (laughs) How many? How many? 10,000. Just a little off. Access to the gospel matters. Ziad couldn't find anybody who would tell him who Jesus was, even though they were churches who should have. What do we do? Well, the Alliance is addressing this, as I said before in that other map, by sending people to the darkest areas. We're sending people to North Africa, to the Middle East, to Central Asia, and to northern parts of India where where access to the gospel is at a minimum. 
That's what we're doing today and will continue to do into the future. Refka was probably one of the most unknown women who lived in Bosnia. When she was 14, she was married, as per her gypsy customs. And she grew up with a family, six kids. In a nearby town, there were some alliance workers who were planning a church. Carrie probably has met them. And in that process, Refka's oldest son began to hear who Jesus Christ was for the first time in his life. And over the course of time, he gave his heart, he gave his life to Christ and became a Christ follower. He talked to his sister about it. His sister, too, followed Christ. And the younger kids wanted to know what the older kids were doing, so they started going to church, too. And Refka, being a good mother, what are my kids into? What's going on? In fact, when she first met Kathy, the alliance worker there, the conversation went along, and Kathy said, have you ever met Jesus? Uh, Excuse me, Kathy said, do you know who Jesus is? And Refka said, "Uh, I've never met him. Who is he? She never even heard the name of Jesus. And as Refka tells the story, she started to go to church to hear what was going on with her kids. And she came home from church one Sunday, And as she relates it, she says, I'm not sure if I was asleep on the couch or awake. I know I had a headache and I laid down to to, to rest a little bit. And whether I was sleeping or whether I was awake, I don't know. I don't know if it was a vision or a dream. But I looked up and there was Jesus standing in the doorway. And he kind of had his arms on the doorpost and he was leaning in, smiling at me. Kathy, what does that mean? And Kathy opened scripture and showed her Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens that door, I will come in and eat with him. At that moment, Refka gave her heart to Jesus Christ. Now, how did that happen? Because God was working in Refka's family, and he worked in a miraculous, wonderful way in her life. But her son, her daughter, and Refka herself heard because a Jesus follower was sent. Kathy and Mark have been in Bosnia for over 20 years now. They've led many Bosnians to Jesus Christ. Why? How? Because, why do they do it? Because Jesus told us to. How do they do it? It's presence. It's not because they preach good messages. It's not because they're wonderful people. God's working in people's hearts and lives around the world. He was working in Refka's life. And Kathy was close enough to be able to tell her who Jesus Christ was. Mamet was a, a, a good Muslim. He lived in the Middle East as well, and he saved up for years to make the Hajj. The Hajj is the pilgrimage that is required of every Muslim to return to Mecca and Medina to do the pilgrimage back to the holy places of Islam. And he saved up for years to, make, to do the Hajj. The year finally came, and he was really excited. In fact, Mamet wanted so badly to, to, to encounter Allah in a different, deeper way. He wanted to be blessed. He wanted to know Allah in a deeper way. He wanted his life to be changed. He wanted good things to happen. And along with hundreds of thousands of Muslims who swarm into Mecca and Medina every year, every year for the annual Hajj, he got in lines to get on buses to take him to the holy places. And as Mamet was climbing onto the bus, the bus driver turned to him and said, you're not going to find what you're looking for on this trip. He did his hajj. He went to all the pilgrimages. He did everything. But Mamet went home very dejected, disappointed, because he never met Allah. He never got that blessing. Yeah, he did what he had to do for the points to be credited to him in the system. But he never got that thing. He never realized a spiritual blessing. He never realized what had happened. And over the course of the next few months, Mamet ran into a couple of our workers who lived in the same city. And over the course of time, a bit of a relationship was established, and our workers felt comfortable enough inviting Mamet over to their house for supper one evening. And Mamet came, and he knocked on the door, and as he walked in, he stopped 
and stared dumbfounded at the wall and, 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 and couldn't say anything. He just stared. Finally, he blurted out, how do you have a picture of my bus driver on your wall? What are you talking about? And they told, he told them the story of his hodge and what the bus driver had said about not finding what he was looking for. And our folks said, well, actually, that's a painting of Jesus. Oh, why would he be on the bus? What? And they began to explore what Mamet was looking for. Remember, the world is broken. They're looking for answers. Mamet wanted blessing. He wanted to know Allah. And our people were able to explain to him who Jesus Christ is, the Son of God which Muslims don't want to accept. They can't accept. They explained how Jesus came, what he did, how he is the way, the truth, the life, and that he is the way back to the Father. Mamet, too, gave his life to Christ. How? Because of access. In a very dark place, God worked in his life, and God brought Alliance workers and mom met together so that he could hear. And we could go on and on and on with story after story after story of people in dark places with minimal access to the gospel, how God brings them into relationship with him. We're grateful for that, every single one of them. <clears throat> Today's in the past, Alliance workers use effective, often cutting edge methodologies to reach out to people. For instance, in Jordan, we're opening a school. It's going to be called the Alliance Academy. It will eventually be K through 12. So why is that so important? Because in Jordan, it just so happens that public schools run by the Jordanian government are Quranic in their orientation. That means they're teaching only the Quran. Kids memorize the Quran. That's education in the public school. So any Jordanian family recognizes that if I want my child to get ahead in this world, they need a good education. They're not going to get it here. And to have a good education, that means my future as a parent is going to be well cared for because they'll get good jobs and they'll take care of me. That's what they're supposed to do. So you have the public school education, which doesn't provide very much. The other option is a private school that you have to pay for. So Jordanians are pulling together enough money to send their children, at least one, to a private school. And private schools are popping up all over the place. I was driving down the main street in Amman several years ago, and there was this huge building and had written across it, Modern American School. And the worker I was with said, it's neither. It's not modern. It's not American. It's a money-making opportunity for the people who own that school. In a suburb just outside of Amman, the capital, a city called Yadude, over 100,000 people live there, roughly the size of Murrieta, in one area. I mean, population-wise, Murrieta, but in a much more concentrated area. 99.5% Muslim. They don't have schooling options. The pastor of a church nearby began to hold Bible studies in Yadude, and discovered people are open, but they don't have any choices. They don't have any options. So the whole program moved along rather quickly, and the plans to build a school developed. I could tell you the story about how the land was purchased, how the building is going up right now. It's supposed to open the ground floor and the, first, the, ground floor and the second floor should open this September uh, for K through 3. And then we'll build the third and the fourth floor as funds and materials become available. And it will eventually be K through 12. And what's going to happen is this is going to be a Christian school, a Christian private international school. Kids who come there will learn in English as well as in Arabic. And not only will they get good education that will prepare them for the world, they're going to hear about who Jesus is. And as the children hear, the parents will hear. Because integrated into the school is a community center. There will be a medical clinic. There will be English classes. There will be other classes and fitness and things like that that go on. 
There will be an auditorium that will seat 500 people, the largest Christian auditorium in the country, that will be used for all kinds of things in that neighborhood. When we bought the land, just to show you how God works, we, we contracted to buy a parcel of land. The next week, literally, across the road, it was announced that for the first time in Jordanian history, they were building a gated community. The price of our land doubled overnight. We're there. We're ready. God has done some incredible things. Oh, by the way, the teachers who will teach there, they'll be Jesus followers, providing access to people who don't normally have access. We also work in community centers in Mongolia, in Europe, in North Africa, the Middle East, Africa. Community centers are an incredibly powerful way to bridge into the community. In the Middle East, we think, oh, this is great. We can build a bridge into the community by which our workers can go across the bridge into the community, but it doesn't work that way. The secret police came to us several years ago and said, what you do in this city cannot be done. You may not evangelize in Muslim neighborhoods. Well, that kind of restricts you because the entire city is Muslim. The entire country is Muslim. What you're saying is we may not evangelize, period. You're understanding us. What you do behind your four walls, that's fine. But you don't go outside. What you do in the church, that's okay. You're legal. But don't go outside. And it dawned on us, if we had a, a center that would allow people, by building bridges to them, that would allow people to come across to us, we would have opportunities to build relationships and to develop access to them. So, through coffee shops, through English classes, through medical clinics, fitness centers, drug and alcohol rehab, you read the list. All of those things are providing access to people in whatever country that you find them in, whereby people come to us and relationships are established. There was a Jordanian who had three BMW dealerships in the country, rather wealthy individual. And he said, I come to this English class because I want to. I could pay more and go to the British uh, embassy for their classes, but at the end of the day, the teacher closes the book, he's done, and walks out, and we're, we're finished. But here, we finish the class, and we go downstairs to the coffee shop and talk for two hours. It's about relationship. And through those relationships, opportunities are established to bring people to Christ, to talk to them about what's going on. The Alliance is also involved in justice and mercy ministries. We're seeing things happen through our hospitals, medical clinics. We work with trafficked women, providing them with vocational education to get them out of the sex trade. We work with outreach to immigrants and refugees. Central Asians come from places like Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, all those stands in Central Asia, and they come to Russia. Five million of them live in Moscow. Over a million live in St. Petersburg. They're the lowest of the low. Russians don't even see them. And yet they can make more money there in two years than they could even imagine making back in their home countries. And we have workers in Moscow and in St. Petersburg who are reaching out to these Central Asians. I was just talking with one of them a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me the story about a guy that he had led to the Lord last year who went back to Uzbekistan and told his wife what had happened, and she threatened to divorce him because he had turned his back on Islam. Before he returned to Moscow, she gave her life to Christ. And they began to talk to their family about what was going on. Seeds sown with immigrants in Russia make their way back to the stands, to Central Asia. We're working with Syrian refugees today in, in Syria. Talking with the president of the Alliance Church in Syria, he told me, John, the people that we work with, the refugees that, that we work with in Jordan and in, in Lebanon, those are the ones who have the money because they, they can afford to escape. But there are hundreds of thousands who can't, who have to leave their homes because they're bombed or they're kicked out, and they're internal refugees. And the 17 Alliance churches across Syria today are reaching out to these other Muslim refugees within their own country. And the cool thing about that is Muslims say to our workers, so 
why are you a Christian helping me? The imam from the local mosque, he doesn't do anything. Why would you as a Christian do that? Well, Jesus told us to love our neighbors. Let me tell you about Jesus. And the opportunity, again, to build relationships is established and carried through. We work with prison ministries, microenterprise opportunities. There's no fresh water. We dig wells. All those kinds of things take place on a regular basis. Let me tell you briefly about green creations. We work with Muslim women who live below the poverty level. They're often widows, second, third wives, divorced women. And in a Muslim culture, you're damaged goods. Whether you're a widow, whether you're divorced, you're no good. If you're a second or third wife, you're there to produce children. You don't have much of a life. We pay them $75 a month, and that lifts them out of poverty and gives them a sense of community, a sense of value that they've never had before. And what they do is they make jewelry. They go to the hotels in this resort city, and they, they get the newspapers and magazines, and they, they get the big vinyl billboards that are, that are up all around town when the time is up. They cut those up. They make purses out of them. They make baskets. They make jewelry, beautiful jewelry. It's, it's, it's fascinating to look at what, what they do. And the cool thing is, for all the Europeans who come to this resort area, this is an, a, a big environmental coup, if you want to say it that way. We're recycling stuff. We're lifting women out of poverty. We're selling garbage that looks good. So it's environmentally friendly, and, and Europeans just love it, and they're buying it by the tons. We sold $5,000 worth of jewelry at the Smithsonian Museum in two weeks. It's good stuff. It's a great story. But that's not why we're there. That does good things. Scattered among these women are Jesus followers. And as they begin to talk and communities and relationships are established, talk turns to spiritual things. One woman had lost everything. Her husband divorced her and took the children, which was his right in the Islamic society. But it, the way he did it was not right. She said, keep my money. Hold it until I ask for it. She worked for about a year, saved up enough money, took it, went and hired a lawyer, and got her children back and living with her today. And during that year that she was working, she began to hear for the first time in her life who Jesus is. And she's given her heart to Christ. She now leads Green Creations, works with all these other women, and as the time comes up and opportunities arise, she's telling them who Jesus is and what he means to her. All because of a, an environmentally friendly, help women get out of poverty methodology. It's really kind of cool. In Luke 15, Jesus talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Each of those elements have value to it. So when the shepherd finds the lost sheep, the entire villages rejoice with him. When the woman in the house finds that lost coin, she tells her neighbors and they all rejoice with her. And when the lost son comes back, the father says he was dead, but now he's alive. And there's great rejoicing in his household. The sheep, the coin, the son all have value. And Jesus, at the end of those parables, says, and when one person comes back to the Father through Jesus, there's great rejoicing in heaven. We rejoice when those kinds of things happen because those things have value. The CMA, Christian Missionary Alliance, is a faith denomination. We rely on the prayers and the generosity of people like you in Alliance churches here in America and around the world. We use the Great Commission Fund to support all the work that the United States does here, doing things in churches in America, as well as all our work overseas. Thank you for being part of that. And you need to know, too, that the Great Commission Fund is separate from your local church budget. They're not the same thing. They're not meshed together. The Great Commission Fund is a separate thing. So when you give to the Great Commission Fund, you're supporting Alliance Ministries worldwide. Thank you for doing that. 
it seems like water is something that is on the minds of a lot of Californians these days. Um, I hear there's a drought. I still see lawns being watered. Um, I saw a guy working on the street the other day, and the hose was just running rampant. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't look like drought conditions to me, but maybe it's a gradual kind of a thing. Water is life. You have to have it. But, you know, you could drown in two inches of water. If you were face down in in two inches of water and you didn't lift your head up, you would die. Imagine with me an absolutely crystal clear lake and someone who was two inches underwater looking up. They see the sun. They see the clouds. They see people swimming around them. They can see the beach. They're aware of their environment. But if they don't come up those two inches to air, what will happen? They will die. And someone who's three feet underwater, they can still see a lot of that same stuff. It seems to me that the church and believers in the church are kind of like lifeguards in a lifeboat. And as we're out on the lake, we can certainly see people two and three inches underwater. We can see people three feet underwater. And they're easy to reach and to pull up to life, to pull up to oxygen, to pull up to light. They're easy. We see them. Are we reaching them? But what about people ten feet down? Well, we can see them too. It takes a little more effort to go down to them. But we can still see them. We can still get to them. Our access to them, their access to us is good. But what about people a thousand feet down where it's dark, where they grow up not even knowing that there's a surface, that there's light, that there's life. They don't even know it exists. How do we reach them? Because we can't see them. It seems to me that it takes a special ops team to do that kind of work. It takes takes surface vessels to provide the necessary means to send people down to those depths, especially trained people who learn to operate in darkness. And in darkness like that, it's not easy to find the people that God is working with. But when you do, you have opportunities to build a relationship with them. We have opportunities to talk about the surface, to talk about light, to talk about life, to answer questions, and to gradually and carefully bring them up to light and to life. And then the entire special ops team, those on the surface, those down underneath, we all rejoice with those in heaven when that person comes to Christ. It's a fantastic event, fantastic experience. So Ziad is living in this city, working in a hotel. And he watches as some crazy Americans move into his neighborhood and buy an apartment building. And they renovate it. And they call it the Life Center, Language Institute for Education. And they offer English classes. And Ziad, who wants to improve his standing with the hotel, realizes, I need to have better English. So he goes to the English classes. And after class one night, says to one of our guys, can we get together and talk about something? Sure. So they get together for coffee. And Ziad says to him, who are you really? Well, I'm an American. I'm with World Associates, and uh, we teach English. No, 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 no. Who are you really? What are you talking about? And Ziad relates a story that was unknown to us. Don't you know that you bought a haunted house? What are you talking about? Well, you bought that house for $250,000. We all know that. Do you know what the rest of the apartment buildings are worth on this street? You got it for nothing. Well, we were pretty fortunate. No, 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 no. When you moved in, what did you find? Well, all the windows were broken. There were stones and rocks everywhere. That's because evil spirits lived here. And children would come by and throw rocks at the devil like you're supposed to do when you're on the Hajj. 
People would walk down the street. They'd get to the house. They'd cross the street, go to the other side, and then come back. They wouldn't walk in front of it. And you crazy Americans, you bought this thing? And not only did you buy it, you fixed it up. It's beautiful today. Three stories. A coffee shop, language classes, a a women's fitness center, all kinds of things go on here. How are you doing this? Do you know anything about God and Jesus? Well, as a matter of fact, Ziad, I do. And our worker related to him who Jesus Christ was. Ziad, who as a teenager had been looking for answers to God, never found them. And through the alliance sending workers to this city in this Middle Eastern country, access to truth became a reality in Ziad's life. Today, Ziad is a follower of Jesus. And not only that, but he's discipling other young men who through the center there are coming to know who Jesus Christ is as well. God works in incredible ways. But he puts people into dark places, into dangerous places, a thousand feet underwater where it's dark to tell people about Jesus Christ. Lost people matter to God and he wants them found here and there. He wants them found in dark places with minimal access to the gospel. Alliance workers are sent out, but they cannot do it by themselves. It takes a cooperative joint effort. You're part of that. The Awakening Church, <laughs> be a part of that. You're Christ-centered. You're one, Acts 1-8. You're part of a family, the Awakening family, which is part of the Alliance family that covers the world. Be fully a part of that here in Marietta, Temecula Valley, and join with thousands of others as we support those that we send through our prayers, through our giving. And when you send people from this church, whether it's a short-term team or for a long-term commitment, Awakening Church, be a part of God's family in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Thank you. That was a good journey, wasn't it? That's going to be a part on a more regular basis of our journey in the days ahead. We are a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance family, but that family is a part of a greater movement of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ doing His work around the world. I want us to pray for the Alliance work and also pray for John as he continues to go around and encourage Alliance churches. I want us to uh, just be informed that when he mentions the Great Commission Fund, or GCF, shortened it, you can always give to the Great Commission Fund. Um, We have our normal tithes and offerings we give to the Lord, but if you want to um, begin giving above that to GCF on a regular basis, monthly basis, yearly basis, or whatever, you can always designate that in a memo section or on your offering envelopes. And those monies go straight to, I refer to it as the big kettle that sits out in Colorado Springs, our national office, to support um, the alliance workers, the international workers in the 62 different countries that we are a part of. And so that is one way that you can participate in this greater movement. And those funds are stewarded so well. And uh, it's one of the things that I'm so pleased of being a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. You don't have this large amount of monies going to the administrative oversight. Of things. They're, they're getting in the pipeline. They're getting into the veins of what God's doing around the world. You can also, and you <clears throat> have this opportunity this morning on the back of your communication card, and we'll get it figured out, write your address very clearly, and write on the back, Alliance Life. There is a magazine that is able to be sent into your home that keeps you informed concerning about what the Alliance work is doing around the world. We will compile those. We'll send them up, and you'll start getting um, periodic, not necessarily monthly, um, and so the Alliance Life magazine, you can also go to CMA Alliance or cmalliance.org uh, uh, is the website to get more informed. It will be a link from our new website, which is coming out with the rebranding uh, on April 6th. But uh, we want you to continue to have opportunity to become better informed about what God is doing uh, through the Alliance around the world. And so that when you cut the awakening people in the future, you won't only – 
bleed a heart for the Temecula Valley, you will also bleed a heart for the world. And it will just be a normal thing of who we are a part of being a part of the Alliance family. So thanks again, John, for coming and being a part of this day. We're going to head back into a time of worship. And I think it's a, a telling thing when you talk about um, you know, the, the water levels. It's almost like we're calling ourselves to be not just only uh, shallow water fishermen or shallow water rescuers, but we want to be deep water rescuers. Because what we have the opportunity to worship God at in the next number of minutes is not available and accessible to so many people, hundreds of thousands of millions of people around the world. And so we get to do this, worship our Lord Jesus Christ and the beauty of his holiness and the grandeur of his light and the freedom that he's brought us. So we're going to head back into a block of worship here. But I want us to pray for the Alliance Works. Can we do that? Lord, you know exactly around this world this very moment where the enemy is seeking to thwart your will in the lives of individual people and people groups. And we just ask, Lord, you would teach us to know how to intercede and pray better for our Alliance workers. Lord, whether it's information that comes from a magazine or a website or people like John sharing with us today, we pray that we would be a people who begin to pray that the darkness would be pushed back. And then, Lord, as we pray for the darkness to be pushed back and for lost people to be found, may you show us strategically how we need to partner with the greater Alliance work. Lord, we know that we can give, and we pray that you would raise us up to be a stronger giving people to the Alliance work. But, Lord, show us a freshest leadership. As surely as us as staff and elders met yesterday morning with John, and we began contemplating how we can push out into global missions more, may you give us the wisdom for the hour and the day at hand. Especially, Lord, as we um, challenge ourselves to be a, a vessel of fresh awakening in people's lives. May you speak into our hearts as leaders in a body because we want to be a part of your movement, not only here locally and regionally, but your movement globally. In your name we pray these things, Lord. Amen. Let's worship and the ushers will come to receive the tithes and offerings as well as those communication cards. <laughs>